When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, and welcome back to From Complex to Queens, our minor league podcast. I'm Steve Seiper, and I will be joined in a little bit by Lucas Vlahos, Ken Levin, and Thomas Henderson. This week, um, we're going to be basically dissecting and previewing the Mets minor league affiliates, Syracuse Mets, Binghamton Rumble Ponies, Brooklyn Cyclones, and St. Lucie Mets. Um, Each one of us will be covering a specific team. Before we get to that, though, um, we'll each begin with our way-too-early draft updates. So my player, Cole Carrig, um, San Diego State University, his team, they played four games, one against the University of San Diego early in the week, and then three against Air Force over the weekend on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And the San Diego versus San Diego game that got postponed because of inclement weather, which is kind of ironic because San Diego is supposed to like always have nice weather, right? Well, whatever. So that game got postponed, but they did get all three games in against Air Force, and San Diego State University took two out of the three. And Carrig went 5 for 13 with a triple, one stolen base and two attempts, and two strikeouts. So on the season now, that brings him to a batting line of 338. 368, 525, with one home run, seven stolen bases in 10 tries, two walks, and 11 strikeouts in 16 games. I think at this point, his stock is trending down a bit. He's hitting the ball well. He's spraying the ball over the field, you know, a bunch of doubles and a bunch of triples. It's basically what he does. The... The walks are down, 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 though. Just two of them. And we're basically a third into San Diego State's season. And it's a little concerning. Um, You know, a guy like Carrig, though, he's going to see fewer walks than you might see, you know, another player draw because he's able to put so much stuff in play. He can use the entire field as a switch hitter, you know. So, you know, it's... It's not like all of a sudden he's striking out or anything like that, you know, and and looking like he's all of a sudden lost at the plate. But it's just a little concerning to see. Um, but, you know, in time, hopefully things balance out a little bit more. All right, so now moving on to the minor league season starting on Friday. And like I said, we are going to be now previewing the Mets for full season affiliates. I'm going to start with... Syracuse, their AAA affiliate. And Syracuse Mets last year went 64-85. and They ended the season in ninth place out of 10 teams in the International League East. They were ahead of just the Charlotte Knights. 
And then in the entire International League itself, East and West, they were 18 out of 20. The only team that was worse than them in the West Division were the Louisville Bats. So we had pretty low expectations going into the season last year, and they certainly did not disappoint. Basically, uh, 21 games under 500. <coughs> I think <coughs> this year, <coughs> excuse me, it's going to be a better team. Um, in terms of expectations, in terms of results, though, I am really not sure. I wouldn't be surprised to see a sub-500 team again. And I wouldn't be surprised to see a team that is just, um, you know, outright dominant. Uh, at least early on, at the beginning of the season, I think that Syracuse is definitely going to be the most exciting team in the system, which is pretty weird to say, because um, usually they're the least exciting team. But I know I was on the fence about going to see Syracuse in, you know, Scranton or Allentown, you know, or even going up to Syracuse. But I'm definitely going to go see them now because Francisco Alvarez, Brett Beatty, Mark Vientos, and Ronnie Mauricio, they're all going to be spending time on the Syracuse Mets, at least to start the season. Those four guys combined to average, not one guy, not the high, they combined to average 24 home runs. Alvarez hit 27, Mauricio had 26, Vientos had four, uh, 24, and Beatty had 19. Those four guys combined, again, combined, to hit 279, 360, 509, and they had a combined OPS of 868. So, the biggest question mark here, I think it's two things. It's A... How much time those guys spend in Syracuse? And then B, their performance. In terms of A, I would say there's probably like a 50% chance that either or both of Beatty and Vientos wind up ending up uh, spending more time on the Mets roster than they do with the Syracuse roster. Maybe if like Alvarez is a 10% chance, but you know, very, very slim, but there's a chance. And Mauricio, I think very, very unlikely outside of maybe a... September cup of coffee. Now, in terms of B, performance. Unfortunately, it's not as cut and dry as you'd think. Alvarez did struggle for the majority of his time in AAA last year. And yeah, he was injured. There was an injury that he was dealing with. And that is something to take into account. But it's hard to say how much exactly that injury impacted his performance and how much of it was him just, you know, the, the normal learning curve from AA to AAA. So... It's it's something. Vientos, he always gets off to slugger starts. You could pretty much set a clock to it at this point. Is he going to slow off slow? Rondo Mauricio, who really knows what happens with him? I mean, the odds of Rondo Mauricio flaming out at this point are just as likely as him going thermonuclear and being like a super prospect. So who knows? And really, you know, Beatty, I guess he's the safest, easiest bet to not really show any signs of struggling since he had no problems in Binghamton last year. He didn't skip a beat, you know, with the handful of games that he played in Syracuse last year. But you never know. So, yeah, most of those position players, there's potential to do a ton of damage. But 
you know, in worst case scenario, those guys don't live up to the hype statistically. It could be a rough offense because, you know, outside of those main guys, the roster is not really going to have too much else. I mean, Jose Peraza is going to play second. And I kind of feel bad. You know, it's it's a star-studded infield, and then there's Jose Peraza. Nothing against the guy, but kind of sucks for him. The outfield... Depending on who makes the MLB roster and who doesn't, you know, the names might be different, but none of them are exactly world beaters. Um, Mets signed Tim LaCastro, Abraham Almonte, Lorenzo Cedrola, DJ Stewart, Jalen Davis. Uh, they also claimed Augustin Ruiz off of waivers. So some combination of those guys are going to be playing in the Syracuse outfield. And then there's also Khalil Lee. Who knows what goes on with him, you know, given his uh, current legal problems. Rotation now um, could be interesting. You have Jose Budo, Eliezer Hernandez, presumably Joey Lucchese, Connor Gray, the newly signed Dylan Bundy. You know, not exactly um, a fearsome group, but guys that in theory should be able to put up decent AAA numbers. And then in addition to them, you could also have some combination of Jose Chassin, David Griffin, uh, Alex Valverde. Those guys probably been making starts. Um... Josh Walker, he was a, a starter prior to his injury problems last year. Uh, he was mainly used in relief last year, but maybe the Mets have him go back to starting. They also could conceivably keep him as the, in the bullpen since he's a lefty. We'll see. And you know, and, and then in the second half, you should conceivably, hopefully, if everything goes right, uh, get some more prospecty guys into that rotation from Binghamton. Uh, guys that are likely starting a Binghamton, I should say. You know, Dominic Hamill, Junior Santos, Mike Vassell. Odds are they'll make a couple of starts in Syracuse at some point. Hopefully. <laughs> and then then the bullpen. And we discussed it a little bit last week when we were talking about guys that the Mets have in the system who might step up. You know, sitting down and looking at it um, and, and not having to deal with the shock of Edwin Diaz all of a sudden being after the season, like literally... Uh, a couple of hours before we recorded last year, I mean, last last week. Um, looking at it now, I'm a little bit more optimistic about things. Syracuse should have a decent bullpen, you know, if, if everything goes right, hopefully. Um, Grant Harwig is solid. Jeff Brigham should be solid. Eric Orsi has the capability to be solid. Um, Dednian Lunez might start the year at Syracuse. Um, I think he'll definitely end up pitching for Syracuse at some point, and he has the capability to be solid. Uh, Zach Muckenhern, he put up decent numbers with the Charlotte Knights last year. Jimmy Akabanis put up decent numbers with the Durham Bulls and the Jumbo Shrimp, Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp last year. I don't think that there's anyone in the bullpen that's going to like really like wow you. You know, no one, no one is going to give you that feeling of like, okay, they're coming in now, game over. But I don't think that anybody is going to be I don't think anyone in the bullpen is going to be comically bad either. You know, it's somewhere in between the I have confidence side of the spectrum rather than the oh crap side of the spectrum, you know? So yeah, I think for the first time since like 2014 or 2015 when the Mets AAA affiliate was the Las Vegas 51s and they were loaded with all those hitting prospects and those uh, pitching prospects in the early to mid-2010s, I think for the first time since then, the Mets' AAA affiliate is going to be the most exciting one. 
And then, you know, depending on how the Mets are doing, I think that Syracuse's season basically is going to depend on how the Mets are doing. Um, You know, if the Mets need to very quickly take players from Syracuse to turn their own season around, then Syracuse is going to have their season turned upside down. But at least going into opening day right now, I think we will have more eyes on Syracuse than we will on Binghamton, Brooklyn, or St. Lucie for a change. So this past week, Yohandi Morales played three games. He went two for 14 with a double, a homer, two walks, and seven strikeouts. Um, So kind of a down week for him. Uh, He struck out in roughly half his, a little under half of his plate appearances. And, um, you know, while he did do damage on, you know, the the balls he put into play, uh, he didn't put many balls into play uh, at all. So uh, kind of a a downward week. Uh, He's still, you know, having a very nice season. Uh, He's played 24 games and hit 326, 410, 584. That's a 994 OPS in 89 at-bats. Uh, he's hit six home runs, uh, five doubles, and walked 13 times against 30 strikeouts. So, um, you know, the strikeouts have really crept up on him a little bit, but um, still, you know, walking a good amount as well uh, on the season. So... Uh, so the 2022 season um, was not a good one for the Binghamton Rumble Ponies. They finished 55 and 83, which was the worst record in the Eastern League East Division. Um, all of this, despite getting most of the season out of Francisco Alvarez, uh, he was, you know, spent most of his season at, at Binghamton. Uh, all, almost all of Brett Beatty's season before his his promotion to the big leagues. Uh, and all of Ronnie Mauricio's season, um, you know, that's three above-average hitters who spent significant portions of their season with Binghamton, and the team was still uh, not particularly good, uh, generally speaking because of a lack of depth behind those high-end names. Um, so this season, I, I think, will play out uh, pretty similarly. Uh, I'd imagine uh, there will be some legitimate high-end prospect ta- talent there at any given time. Uh, maybe not quite to start the season, but as the season goes, I'd imagine guys get promoted there. Um, and then just not enough uh, high-end talent uh, beyond them to, you know, put together a winning team on the field. So it's mostly, you know, a couple of high-end guys and then, you know, kind of the usual uh, organizational depth guys who bounce between uh, different high minor spots uh, as needed. Uh, I'd imagine Alexander Ramirez and Stanley Consuegra spend a significant amount of time in the outfield for Binghamton next season. Uh, Especially Consuegra, I I would think if he performs even a little bit that they'll try to be aggressive with him given how much time he's missed uh, due to injury. Uh, He's finally healthy. I'd imagine they try to push him a little more aggressively. Uh, But Alexander Ramirez, too, I'd imagine will, will be there for a while. And um, I think if Kevin Parada hits enough, um, I th- we're pretty sure he's going to start the season in Brooklyn, but if he hits enough, I'd imagine he would be in consideration to spend a good amount of time in Binghamton next year as well. 
Uh, on the pitching side of things, I'd imagine Dominic Hamill breaks camp with the team. Uh, Mike Vassell will probably spend a lot of time there um, in the rotation for, for Binghamton. And uh, Ginger Santos, I figure, will likely start the season in Binghamton. Uh, so the pitching might even be a little better um, than it has been. Uh, but still, uh, I don't know if there's enough depth there for the team to be uh, in competition for a playoff spot. It's possible that Blade Tidwell uh, pitches his way into a promotion of the high minors. Uh, we, we think like Parada, he's probably going to start the season in Brooklyn. But if he pitches well enough, I'd imagine they're pretty aggressive with him as well, given um, the level of competition he faced in, in college. Uh, so, yeah, generally speaking, I think Binghamton will probably not be very exciting from a wins and losses perspective, but uh, should have plenty of prospect talent uh, shuffling in and out as the season goes to uh, keep things interesting. So for my team preview, I chose the Brooklyn Cyclones for pretty obvious Brooklyn-related reasons, as I am very close to them, and I that's where most of my the vast majority of my minor league looks come from. And so yeah, it just makes a lot of sense. But <clears throat> the Cyclones are going to be really good. They were really good last year. They won 70 games. They made the playoffs. They lost in the first round, but still. And the Cyclones have kind of been one of those teams that have constantly had some exciting players in the last few years and hasn't always been like that. But it's starting to get a lot more fun, the teams in Brooklyn. They used to be kind of dire. But now there's a lot more fun stuff happening down there. And that's likely because they're going to have... a Big swath of really good players. They're gonna have pro- likely Kevin Parada and Blake Tidwell and Blake Tidwell and Alex Ramirez and Stanley Casuegra and Mike Vassell and William Lugo. Like it's going to be a lot of exciting players and players who we've been talking about for a little bit now. And with the Pradas being a first round pick last year, and Tidwell probably should have been a first round pick, and they did really good work to get him in in the organization. So. It's it'll be fun to see those guys take their next steps, and for Parada and Tidwell specifically, really their first steps because the way the draft sits now and how late it is in the year, they don't really. I would not really want my guys doing a ton in their first years out of college. It's just a lot of stress on the body that they're not used to, and it's new things and new organizations and new people. Like Kevin Prada played 10 games, and he's probably going to move right up to Brooklyn, and then I would not be surprised if he only spends a few months there to move up and ends up in Binghamton, because he could probably move pretty fast. Also, just in general, St. Lucie had a really fun team last year. They were excellent. They were pro- they were the best overall team in the organization, and I think they stayed that way the entire time, and a lot of those guys are going to move up. Chevron Newton's probably going to move up. I can see DeAndre Swift moving up. Raul Barcieto is probably moving up. Omar De Los Santos probably moving up. Blaine McIntosh might move up. It's just, it's a, it was a really good team. Like, the team all around was really good. They were good the entire year. And <clears throat> it'll be fun to see if we see guys like Jeffrey Colon, if we see guys like Joel Diaz, if we see guys like Javier Atencio, Jose Acuna. No, not, not Jose Acuna, obviously. Um... It'll be fun to see maybe Tony DeBrill shows up in Brooklyn. Like we could kind of also get a lot of fun guys on the back end and a lot of different, it'll just be, it'll be a really good St. Lucie team moving up and a really good St. Lucie team moving up would be 
extremely fun to see in Brooklyn because they were the best team in the organization last year. So to just keep those guys generally together and keep their organizational, their, their developmental paths moving up would be great to see. But yeah, Brooklyn is, they're a good team. They're probably going to be really good. And the cool thing about it is when the Kevin Paradas of the world move on, which he's likely going to, he's not, if he spends the whole year in Brooklyn, I was assuming something went wildly wrong. We're probably going to see Jet Williams. We're probably going to see Jacob Reimer. And to be able to have the level of organizational depth that the Mets have now, that they could kind of replace one top prospect moving up with another one below him is really nice to see. Where before, Brett Beatty and Francisco Alvarez would move up and it would just be not, nothing really coming in the pipeline after that. But now there's kind of a steady stream of, ex- of guys who are exciting and guys who are interesting. And I think Brooklyn is going to be the, – the pipeline between St. Lucie and Brooklyn is going to be interesting to see moving forward, and I think this year is going to be a good example of it. Hey, everyone. Lucas here with my portion of this week's episode, and uh, I'm not going to waste time with any intro, so I'll jump right into it. Um, first bit, got to update the draft follow. My guy is Colton Ledbetter. He's an outfielder from Mississippi State, if you're just joining us or who have forgotten because I couldn't blame you at this point of the season, in all honesty. Um, if you want the full bio, go back a couple weeks and listen to that. But this week, uh, Ledbetter went 5 for 10 in three games. Uh, he had a double and a home run against Arkansas State. He struck out once, didn't walk at all, had a steal. Um, on the season, he has now reached base safely in 23 of 24 games. Uh, I'm a bad, nominally a stats guy, and I think that's good. You know, generally reaching base uh, more often is good. Um, and I have his bottom line numbers for the season here. He's hitting a casual 354 with uh, five homers through 82 at bats. So the power numbers definitely have cool down from the particularly hot start but like I said he hit a double and a homer today he's clearly getting pitched around a bit uh and and taking his walks and getting on base so uh honestly my my opinion on him is only going up at this point he's demonstrating everything I really want to see from a college hitter he's not Dylan Cruz obviously but the Mets aren't picking in a range where you can get that um, looks pretty comfortable out there in center field. The swing still seems to be functioning. I've seen some good reports on the exit velocity as well. The patience is there. The speed is there. He's handling velocity, which was one of the biggest questions uh, coming into this season. Really a lot to like. Um, and if there's any chance at all that he's there when the Mets are picking, uh, I'd be sprinting that pick into the podium, frankly. Um, so that's Ledbetter, and he might actually appear at the organization I'm about to talk about now, uh, because for the season previews, I'm covering the St. Lucie Mets. So uh, 2020, St. Lucie won the uh, FSL. They went 73-56. and 56. They led the league in runs with 595. They had an undefeated run through the playoffs. They swept Dunedin, Dunedin, I think it's Dunedin, but uh, I'm always tempted to use the Lord of the Rings pronunciation there. Um swept them away to to win the championship so a really successful season last year and to be frank i think they're actually set up pretty well for this upcoming season i think uh i mean you never want to i'm not in the business of predicting uh championships for minor league teams but uh there's a lot to like on this roster and i i think there's a chance that they'll they'll be a force in this league again um 
So I have a, I'm not going to go through every position here. I will talk about every position group generally. Uh, I'm sure there'll be some other names, minor guys that don't get discussed. We don't have the full rosters yet, so we're making some educated guesses on, on as to who's going to be here. But uh, there are some names we're confident in, and I'll, I'll start at the top with Jet Williams. Um, anyone who's listened to the podcast at any point over the last six to 12 months uh, is well aware of my opinions on Jet. Uh, that refrain that if he was three to four inches taller, he would have been the top pick in the draft. I don't know if that's quite true because everyone, because Jackson Holiday and, and Drew Jones are really excellent. But uh, Jet has a lot to like there, and if you can get past the fact that he's short, um, uh, really he's he's a, a very exciting uh, prep hitter. Um, and for that reason, I think this is going to be a really huge season for him, right? This is his big chance to come out and sort of uh, address that question up front, right? Will those amateur uh, TrackMan data that we've heard about uh, translate to the Major League side? And he, if that's the case, he's going to be stinging the ball over, all over the place. Or is his height, his size actually going to be a problem? Is he going to have less punch or, or not enough punch to actually be impactful? And, and if that's the case, um, well, his stock will probably be down. And I, because of that, I think there's a really bifurcated outcome here, right? He's either going to answer that question pretty convincingly and pretty quickly, and his stock is going to rock it up, or it's going to be an issue. And, and uh, the, the, the height doubters are going to kind of win the day here. And, and his stock, stock isn't going to go to zero, but, but his upside is certainly limited long term. He seems more like a, a tweener speed guy at that point. So um, unsurprisingly, I definitely believe the latter. I think he's going to come out and, and really show out this season. I'm, I buy into the batted ball numbers um, or the reported batted ball numbers. Um, and he's going to have every chance to, to really demonstrate that that he's legit. Um, he's been at shortstop for the Mets in spring. I'd expect him to stick there for the time being, uh, even if that's not necessarily his long-term defensive home. Uh, you kind of move anyone else off the position in deference to him. And we'll talk about some of the other names around him uh, in a little bit. So I'd expect him to, to be the starter at shortstop for the majority of the season here. If he really shows out, he might get a mid-season promotion, but really no reason to rush him. He, he should be in St. Lucie for most of the season. Um, the next guy, and we're going to continue around the infield here uh, just to, to, for a level of consistency, is. Uh, but the next uh, guy to talk about is another one of my favorites. That'd be Jacob Reimer. Um, he was the fourth round pick last year. Um, reportedly, he's looked great on the backfields this spring after looking fantastic in his uh, uh, brief debut last season. The patience-power combination is really apparent. Uh, the defense looks not great, but adequate for the hot corner. Um, and if the power, the, I mean, the biggest question on him on the offensive side is if the power is impactful. Um, and, and right now, it looks like he's he's trending that way. I mean, I made a slightly hyperbolic take at one point that I could see that he'll be a top 100 prospect by uh, the end of the season. Uh, I very well may incorporate that into the bold predictions for the, the, the Mets this year, or we do a specific one for the podcast, but uh, everything uh, that's out there about him, everything I've heard about him, what I've seen, uh, really reinforces the idea that this is a, one of the, potentially one of the biggest draft steals the Mets have had in recent memory. Um, and I'd fully expect him to, to get the third base, the starting third base job and, and hold it for most of the season. So uh, a couple of preps in, in Jet Williams and Jacob Reimer holding down the left side of the infield here. I don't think there's any need to send him to the complex or something like that. Just put him in St. Lucie and, and 
let them cook there the whole year until they're really cook a blow in the cover off the ball. And if that's the case, well, well you deal with that later. Um, the rest of the infield is less exciting. Um, I could see them sending Junior Tillian back here. Tillian had a bit of buzz last year, hit a bunch of homers for St. Lucie, but his overall line was not spectacular. It wasn't bad. He had a 105 weighted runs created plus uh, over the whole season, um, playing mostly on the left side of the infield himself. Um, there's a chance he winds up in Brooklyn. I'm not exactly sure what they'll do with him. Uh, if he follows the more Alex ramirez path, I think he'd go back to St. Lucie, and I think that's fine. Um, where he plays is another question. Uh, maybe you put him at second. You could put him in the outfield, and I'll say now the outfield for this team is uh, a bit of a barren wasteland as it is throughout most of the org. So maybe they put him out in the outfield, um, or maybe this is a reason to push him to, up to Brooklyn so that he continue to, can continue to play a shortstop. I'm not sure yet, but I could see him factoring into the picture here. Um, after that, it falls off a bit. You have some of the college guys who were drafted, like DeAndre Smith, who I'm really not a fan of, Chase Step, who I'm also not a huge fan of. Uh, they're both in the mix at second base. Uh, I have almost no idea what they're going to do at first base with this with this roster. And uh, uh, I mean, there's not not a lot of exciting internal options. I can actually check who who is Fangrass even projecting to play first base for this roster. You know, something I should have looked up before starting this, but left field, pitchers, third base, second base. Eduardo Salazar, a 22-year-old who is listed as first left right and had a 104 weighted in the complex last year and got 100 plate appearances for St. Lucie. So yeah, he's probably in the picture at first base, but... Uh, the point you get the idea here. There's really no one of note uh, on that side. So most of the most of the uh, impact power here is on the left side of the infield. Um, second base, there are some names, and then first base and going into the outfield, things get a little bleak. Um, there'll be some names that filter through, and we'll talk about some of the complex guys that should be here in the second half. But it's not a, a great picture there. Um, behind the dish, there is an interesting name to keep keep an eye on, and that would be. Um, uh, 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 Vincent Perozo, um, a relatively unheralded J2, unheralded J2 signing, but he killed the complex last year. His WRC was uh, 140-ish, um, and he got a little bit of time. St. Lucie just wasn't good, but he's very young. There's power there. I don't know if the defense is going to be playable long term. I've not watched enough of him behind the plate to have uh, an opinion, but I mean, you look at this sort of profile, it's kind of the classic, all right, yeah, this is a power-hitting backup catcher, um, doesn't strike out a lot, walked a bit, you know, I, this is the kind, he's 20 years old already, so he's age-appropriate for the level in terms of actual prospects. Um, I'd be fine with them giving him the reins and, and seeing what comes of it, um, and I'm sure there'll be some other catchers in the mix. I wouldn't expect any of the recent, uh, more notable J2s to, to get this high, like Davis Gator Gutierrez is not pulling an Ethan Salas and starting in full season ball. That's just not going to happen. So there'll be some other names in the mix, but Perozo stuck out as, as a potential one to watch, someone with some impact power who uh, uh, might be exciting behind the dish. So that covers the offense in large part. The, the outfield, 
it's, it's, like I said, it's pretty bleak. Blaine McIntosh, if you're into that. Carl Paz was a little bit interesting, but he got a, a suspension for, for steroids at the end of last season as a, an overage Cuban uh, J2 signing. Adrian Hernandez is here, but, but not someone to be particularly excited about. Omar De Los Santos could be back, I guess. I mean, De Los Santos was really good for this team last year in terms of his bottom line numbers, but he also was striking out 30% of the time. Uh, more than 30% of the time, right? He's just, he does not make enough contact to be a real prospect. So what do you do with that? I'm not sure, frankly. Um, he was already repeating the level. Uh, maybe he's the kind of guy that you need to promote, and it's not like Brooklyn is rich in outfielders either. Um, so yeah, I think he could be, uh, uh, he's probably out of the picture for now at least. So really skeptical as to what they're going to do in the outfield, uh, at least at the start of the season. Um, we'll get to, and, and I'm sure a couple of you are already asking, what about some of those complex names? We'll get to those uh, in a bit. Um, moving to the pitching staff now, I actually see a lot to like on this pitching staff, uh, particularly in the starting rotation. Uh, at the top, I think we'll see some combination of Javier Atencio, uh, Joel Diaz, Leano Avalas. Um, so Atencio... Not even though he's the guy who was the best at this level last year and, and has the best like ERA numbers, not my favorite pitching prospect, a little bit shorter, um, kind of no, nothing remarkable about his stuff, throws two fastballs, has underwhelming breaking ball characteristics and an okay changeup. Um, but I mean, he's he's a guy to watch. I mean, the, the, the bottom line with anyone at this level is that they're probably a reliever long term, but he put up good numbers here last year. I'd expect him to, to come back and, and lead the rotation again. But if there is a chance he gets pushed to Brooklyn. Uh, Diaz and Ovales are definitely more interesting. Um, Diaz couldn't quite hold uh, uh, the hype he had at the start of last season or, or last off season. Uh, had an ERA over five and a half, but really improved down the stretch when he started leaning on his changeup more and working out of the bullpen. He's only 19. He only threw 50 innings at the level last year, and, and they weren't particularly good. I think you send him back and try to see if he can work as a starter and, and improve uh, on his fastball and breaking ball. There, there's enough here where if things align or, or click, there could be more. Uh, so you give him some run as a starter, at least to start the season. And then finally, Ovalis, who kind of came out of nowhere last year, um, now is probably the most intriguing option of these guys has a really impressive rising fastball that there's a lot to like there um the breaking ball is questionable and the the changeup is pretty non-existent but um even though the 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 era numbers were pretty bad in st lucie last year he has the raw ingredients to be probably the most special of the three guys in the rotation we've mentioned so far uh again most likely he's a 95 and a slider reliever in a couple years. That's that's just the truth of talking about any pitching prospect at this level. But um, uh, there's there's something there's the potential for more in here. And if the Mets uh, pitching dev apparatus can improve or has improved and we haven't seen it yet, this would be an interesting case to see if that that bears some fruit. Um, before moving to the bullpen, I do want to talk about one of my personal cheese balls who I think will get some run in this relation, uh, relation in this rotation, and that's Dylan to break. Um, so to break was a seventh, eighth round pick out of Creighton last year. Uh, I'm really excited to see what he could do in professional ball. Um, he, uh, uh, 
has a good story in college. Like he's drafted as a senior by the Mets here. He came back from a shoulder injury with more velocity than he had before, even if it's not premium stuff. Um, and during his brief debut last year, there were actually some really impressive spin numbers on his slider uh, and fastball when he was working out of the bullpen. So I'd really like him to, to get an extended look as a starter. Uh, I actually think there's something here. If I was prepping these guys, I'd have them above Diaz and below Ovalas, which is uh, ridiculous uh, in terms of if you're talking about this objectively. But uh, for whatever reason, just based on preps, I really like to break. And looking at the pitchers behind him, I don't see any reason why he shouldn't get a, a, a full chance to uh, pitch in this rotation and stick there. Um, he's definitely a little on the older side, right? He was a, a senior draftee, so if he's good, you promote him quickly or maybe you move him to the bullpen right away. Um, but I think there's there there are characteristics here to like and uh, start him in the rotation and, and see if it works out. The bullpen less less upside I think less interesting. There's a lot of college guys, right? I think a lot of the the cut picks they drafted last year will pitch here. Guys like Zebulon Vermillion, Ryland Thompson, uh, Thomas, excuse me, Paul Gervasi, Connor Brandon, Eli Ankeny, like get. The, the, the draftees that we never talk about, essentially. Uh, this is where you'd expect them to wind up. Just dumped into this bullpen, see what happens. Probably an assortment of DSL arms as well from the complex from last year, but but no one, uh, at least at this stage, that is really sticking out. Um, so that's the, the roster as I expect it to start the season. There are a couple in-season reinforcements we should talk about, uh, and those would be the three big J2 names, Jesus Baez, Willy Fanyas, and, and Simon Juan. Uh, Baez, the best one above uh, of them, he's had the most buzz out of the DSL. Um, I'd expect him to start in the complex, but you never know with these guys. Maybe he's showing out in the backfields right now. I've not heard anything to that effect. Um, so I'd, I'd expect him to start in the complex and then move to uh, full season ball later in the season. Uh, he'd make that infield picture a little more crowded. I don't know how you sort out a Reimer, Williams, and Baez situation because you want to keep all three of those guys on the left side of the infield. You can make it work. Maybe a dude needs a promotion. Maybe Reimer plays some first. Maybe Jet plays some outfield, right? You can you can shuffle things around as necessary. But um, of the three, even though he was the least heralded at the time of signing, Baez is the one to, to most look out for here. Um, if he continues on his current trajectory, you could see him making some noise in St. Lucie down the stretch. And then as for Fanyas and Juan, they're obviously the bigger name signings. Their DSL performances were nothing particularly special. Um, now, we te- probably tend to devalue IFAs a little bit too quickly when they don't hit the ground running. They're still extremely young. There's still a lot to, to like in terms of physical projection and uh, raw skills. And there's clay to mold here if the Mets can, can do some work. So... Um, there's also a real clear need on this team and in the organization as a whole for outfielders. So um, maybe you move them a little bit faster. I wouldn't do that, of course. I'd say you you cater to their development first, let them slow burn in the complex. And if one or both are showing out and and seem ready, there will be a spot for them in the St. Lucie outfield just because there's not a lot blocking them at this point. So overall, I think this roster is 
pretty good. I mean, the outfield is a problem. Don't get me wrong. Uh, the outfield is weak, but I think there's enough offensive talent on the infield, and part of that is just because I'm so high on, on Reimer and Williams. Um, but they're, the, the college performers at second base should be adequate, um, and Perozo behind the dish is, is interesting. So I think there's enough here that the offense will be good, or maybe not good, but, but average. And then in the rotation, I mean, we're able to rattle off four starters um, that that are probably going to be above average for this level, I think, um, or at least have the raw ingredients to be above average. And the bullpen is full of college relievers, right? And those guys should perform at this level. They don't always, I mean, a couple of them won't. Like, that's just how this works. But uh, if uh, 40%, 60% of them do, this is going to be above a- an above average FSL bullpen. Like, that's the bottom line. So I think there's a pretty decent chance for this team to uh, be a strong contender again, and uh, we'll see. I mean, a lot of names to be excited about on this roster, though, certainly. And that is our show for the week. If anyone has any questions, comments, whatever, you can send us an email at our email address, fromcomplexthequeens at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter and shoot us questions there. I'm at Steve Seipler. Lucas is at lvlahos343. Ken is at Ken1191, and Thomas is at SadMedSeasonSZN. Subscribe to the podcast, wherever you get your podcast from, rate and review it, and of course we thank you for listening. And a reminder, we are now on the Patreon-based Homer and Apple Network, so if you like our podcast or any of the other ones... You can subscribe now for just $5 a month and you'll get extra stuff like bonus episodes and exclusive content and really the deep down satisfaction of knowing that you're helping support us. So we'll be back next week. And until then, love the Mets, love the Mets.